is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Welcome back to Conversations with Saruti. This is Ben Saruti, your host with Birds on the Black. Uh, this is season two, episode twelve, and uh, I'm going to jump right in. Jeff Ponce is back to back with us this week. Um, he is with Baseball America now. He's been with a bunch of people in the past, but uh, where he's currently at is Baseball America, and he's loving it. And uh, he joined us to talk about the Cardinals' prospects mostly last week. Um, Jeff, how are you today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Any day I get to start the morning talking baseball is a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, this week, though, I wanted to have Jeff back and uh, thank him for doing so um, to talk MLB draft. Uh, we are getting close, uh, about a month out from the 2022 MLB draft. And uh, we ended last show talking in very general terms about what's true regarding this draft in terms of like, is it a good or bad draft regarding pitchers, hitters, high school bats or whatever, college players. Um, before we start talking individually about players and where the Cardinals draft, um, can you kind of remind everybody where's the good stuff in this draft? Yeah, I think that, you know, where this draft probably stands out the most uh, at least, at least in terms of my perspective, is the positional guys that you're going to get from the college side. I think in rounds two through like five or six, um, where that probably wasn't necessarily a significant strength in last year's class. I think it was the college pitching, as you saw. I mean, look at Gordon Graceffo. <laughs> You know, yeah. there's so and there's so many other guys. I mean, you know, Hayden Junger, uh, you know, a guy uh, with the Blue Jays, or Ricky Tiedemann. There's just so many arms that seem to come sort of a bit at a discount last year. I think you're going to have a similar thing with position players this year. The college group, maybe there isn't a Spencer Torkelson at the top, or you know, one of those sort of guys that's like the shining um, college superstar. Maybe you can call Kevin Parada that. Kind of depends on how you view his defense long term. But there's a lot. A lot of guys that have potential everyday major league futures on the position side at a variety of different positions. A guy like Eric Brown from Coastal Carolina, I think is really good value. Depending upon who you're talking to, he could go at the end of the first round. Could be somebody that somebody gets in the, the mid to late second. Um, there'll be a lot of guys like that that I think drop. Um, and because just the nature of things in the, the 2020 or post-2020 draft world with the five-round draft, we're still feeling some of those repercussions where, you know, there were maybe three-year guys that went rounds 11 to 20 last year that went back to school. Brooks Baldwin, I think, is a is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, Baldwin goes, goes back to school, um, you know, was, uh, I think, the Colonial Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Um, he was a 12th-round pick last year. 
he's a guy that maybe goes around six or seven this year. So we're still seeing some of these guys who are, um, you know, draft eligible for the second time, sort of as what would be traditionally called a senior sign, or really a red shirt or a COVID junior because of 2020. Those guys are kind of going back to school, getting pushed up a little bit. So it's a lot more college heavy than it's been in, in prior years. Um, and there's always, you know, a, a couple of guys that come from the JUCO ranks or D3 or a smaller D1 school um, that pop sort of late in the process. So I think that's typically where we're going to see the best values. Um, everyone knows the high school guys. The high school guys, at least in this day and age, that get drafted, they're all known players. More guys are going to college uh, than probably ever before. You're not seeing as many, you know, high bonus guys getting bumped in rounds 11 to, to 20 like you used to in 2019 and the years prior. Um, so I think that's really where the value is and where the depth is, is in those those college position players. And you think that's going to kind of be the case moving forward now that we're down to a 20 round draft and, and all that? I think, I think that the college classes will all, it, it may not be position guys. It might be pitchers like it was in 2021 or even 2020. But um, college in general. Yeah. I think in general, we're just going to see more players there, more players going to Juco. Um, and the college classes are going to skew a little bit older now. Um, I think there's, you know, maybe a little bit less hesitation toward guys that maybe are a senior sign uh, than in years past just because of um, the shrinking of the minor leagues and <clears throat> knowing you're getting a player, uh, the guy that, you know, Ivan Melendez, for example, that somebody would have drafted or did draft last year had he signed, you maybe don't have the same confidence to send that guy to high A right out of the draft that you do this year. You could send you could send Ivan Melendez right to high A. I don't think anybody uh, would make any bones or say uh, that's an over aggressive ranking or, or excuse me assignment. Um, we're going to look at it and say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Melendez showed that he can play first base at that level right now. Gotcha. Um, you know, and and I think that's also a product of shrinking with the short season leagues where we saw a lot of those college players make their debuts. Even a guy like Adley Rushman debuted in the New York Pen. Um, Ivan Melendez, um, sorry, my brain just hiccuped there. Um, for those people who don't know, uh, Texas first baseman, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's got tons of power already 30 plus homers this, this, uh, this year. And, uh, I didn't got, I did not get to see scores from the college world series. He, they're still in it, right? They played Texas A&M soon, right? Uh, Texas actually lost. Oh, they lost to uh, Okay. They were they were eliminated uh, by Texas A and M on by A and M. That game Sunday. already happened. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That game that ha- that game happened on uh, on Sunday, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't particularly close either because A and M plays oh, okay. again today on Tuesday. Uh, it was a single elimination game because um, Texas had lost to Notre Dame on Friday. So oh, okay. you know it's a double elimination tournament. Once you lose your second game, you're done. Right, Lost right. ten to two to their cross state rivals. It wasn't great. All right, yeah, I've gotten to see absolutely none the last two days. Oh, no, it's been what? busy Father's Day, uh, et cetera, going on. So, okay, so that was Sunday. All right. Um, next thing I wanted to ask about: you mentioned uh, last week that if you were Randy Flores, that you would go for if you were the Cardinals and you would go for more of that Delvin Perez, Nolan Gorman, whoever kind of drops to them um, for some unknown reason type. Uh, earlier today, 
Keith Law put out a mock draft at the Athletic, and he had left-handed pitcher from Alabama, Connor Prelip, um, going to the Cardinals. And in his, you know, little write-up about that, he 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 wrote about, um, you know, how Prelip uh, has barely thrown for Alabama in two years uh, because he underwent Tommy John surgery this year, uh, or at the end of sorry, end of May 2021. Um, he came back to throw a bullpen right before the SEC tournament. Um, mostly throwing low nineties, but flashes of this like big slider that he had before the injury. Um, do you think that is the type of drop that fits the bill that you were talking about? You know, I don't like, I, I, I think that just historically looking at what the Cardinals do, they go for upside more often than not, or they find a guy who has what McGreevy has, what Graceffo has, which is that sort of pinpoint control. Um, even the guys that they target on the trade market, I think that's, that's you know, that baseline of pitchability and command and control, I think are a big part of the guys that they typically target. I think you could even make a case about Zach Thompson with that. Um, Prelip has thrown like 25 innings. I mean, like, there's been none. Like I remember I wrote him up this off season. It's a great slider, by the way. And he's got velocity on the fastball. I don't love the shape. Um, personally, I wouldn't take him there. I, I didn't look at Keith's list, unfortunately. Um, oh like, yeah. Um, I just dropped this morning. So yeah. I, um, yeah. so, so, I, so that's, that's, that was their first round pick. Is That's they, who we had the Cardinals taking. Um, and now, like, was landed Sims off the board? Like, there's just even better injured. I'll check that starters. while you're talking, but yeah. Yeah, there's even, like, better injured starters that I probably would have taken. So, I, I think in this class where there's some talented, upside-y position guys on the prep side, that feels a lot more to me like what um, the Cardinals typically would go after. You know, um, and like I said, like, I think they'll sit back and they'll wait for someone to drop, and they'll scoop one of those guys up. Uh, we've seen him do it in years past. I think they even did it with you know Jordan Walker, um, and it's typically a guy that has loud power. So <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. those, those um, guys, like you know, if a Jet Williams is there, I kind of feel like Jet Williams might be a guy that maybe they take. You know, I just yeah, I've I've heard his name to the Cardinals a few times, uh, or at least in that range a few times. Yeah. We we're going to talk a little bit more about him later, but if you want to talk about that uh, high school shortstop from Texas right now, you can. No, we could we could jump back into him in a minute. I just okay. sort of threw him out there as a name. I know we had him on the list. Um, gotcha. Uh, Landon Sims did not go in Law's first round of his draft. So yeah, and that's draft. that's kind of funny because like Sims has more of a track record and has better stuff than Prelip does. Like he has a just mm. as good of a slider and he's got a better fastball. And we've seen okay. him. I know it's not of the bullpen, but we've seen him pitch big innings. I think he had more innings this year than Prelip did. Now I get that Prelip is able to pitch now and Sims just started his rehab process in the big scheme of things. It's only a few months, right? It's like, right. Okay. 10, 11 months. Fine. Like, you know, the difference is, yeah, if you're going to get the better player and they're going to spend seasons in the minors anyway. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like they're, yeah. they're all going to be eligible for the, the, you know, the, the 40 man roster at the exact same time. Yeah. Um, so, the Cardinals fans, if you don't know, the Cardinals' uh, top two picks are both in the top 60 this year, which most picks are. I know there's a comp compensatory round, so that doesn't always work out. But 
Cardinals pick 22nd in the first round and 59th in the second round as their first two picks this year. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to give you uh, a list of five names for hitters and a list of seven names for pitchers. And what I want you to do is thinking about centered around that number 22 pick. Um, I've, I, I've picked out uh, from MLB Pipeline mock drafts, from Keith Law mock drafts, from Prospects Lives, your old stomping ground um, mock drafts, the guys they have centered around that 22. So I looked in like that 20 to 24 range. Um, if you would pick one position player out of the five I give you and then one pitcher out of the seven I give you as who we, who you would choose in this spot if you were the Cardinals. Sure. So the position players they have listed near that range are shortstop Zach Neto or Nito from Campbell, uh, Jet Williams, who you already mentioned, outfielder Jordan Beck out of Tennessee, catcher Daniel Susak out of Arizona, and outfielder Dylan Beavers from California. And you can touch on all five, but I do want to ultimately hear if it was your choice, who you would take and why. Yeah, I, I think I actually like it. Uh, the top two that you have here, Zach Neto and Jet Williams. I love Neto. Um, I saw Neto break out with Brewster on the Cape last summer. Uh, had he not suffered an ankle injury about 10 games in, I think he probably would have won Cape League MVP, probably would have led the league in home runs. Um, he was every bit as good as Chase DeLauder had been. Uh, up to that point and places a short, he's a plus shortstop. And this is a guy that moved Trey Faltini, who's a talented defender with Texas um, off the shortstop position to second base when he was healthy and in the lineup. Uh, and it was for good reason. I mean, he's got a rocket of an arm. We've seen him come in, he closed games for Campbell this year. Um, he's really twitchy. Uh, there's a lot more field to hit and bat to ball than you would uh, anticipate. If you just saw a swing, He's got some moving parts, very similar to Javi Baez is kind of what my comp is just in terms of aesthetically and how he moves. Um, but doesn't chase as much as Baez does. Better swing decisions, actually. Uh, I think there's projectable power there in the body. He's very sort of loose and twitchy. Uh, I think he's a guy that, once we look at a, guy, a body like his, like when he's 25, 26 years old, he's going to add good mass without sort of backing up athletically. Um, so I really, really liked uh, Neto a lot. I think he kind of fits that bill and um, – you know, that middle infield defender uh, could move pretty quickly. You know, they have a few in the organization now, but I think that Neto would be a really good fit for them. Uh, Jet Williams, as we, we talked before, sort of mentioned, that's why I wanted to hold off. Um, just a really talented, twitchy guy. Again, another guy who was a two-way talent. Um, you know, he had a, a fastball as a pitcher up to like 92, 93. He's throwing similarly hard from the infield, uh, you know, Quick, good runner, um, you know, hits for some power. He's hitting games. A uh, little bit undersized, a little bit older, but um, I think you, you buy the whole package just in terms of what he can do. He's a number one player, uh, according to Perfect Game out of the state of Texas, and a guy that's that's getting, you know, top 20, top 25 buzz. So uh, I think he's good value there as well. Those would be the, the two names that I would I would uh, cue into myself. Um on the pitching side, Cooper Jerpy. I actually would probably take Jerpy over any of these guys, uh, to be frank. I would take Jerpy in the top 10. I think Jerpy is the best college pitcher in the class. Um, I know that you know he's a guy that has an unusual um, low arm slot from the left side. He's pretty much a side armor. Um, the velocity doesn't jump off the page at you. He sits, you know... 90 to 91, 92, uh, was up to 98 miles per hour in fall ball. I think we should keep that in mind. 
a really good slider. Uh, and quick question for you on Jet Williams: Where's he? Uh, has he committed anywhere? Uh, yeah, he's a Mississippi State commit. Okay, but first round, if he goes first round, there's no way he's he's going yeah, there. No, right? no, no chance. I, yeah, okay, exactly. So he's I mean, not the signability guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's and where he's getting drafted to. Like, you know, even if he had like a three or four million dollar number, like it's probably not absurd. Like, it could get paid. Um, yeah. So I don't think he's like a huge concern in terms of signability. I think he's a guy that could get signed, um, and it seems to be trending that way. Usually, when guys are ranked as highly and continue to move up boards it's a sign that the feedback from the industry from scouts from agents is that this guy is is going to sign Um, it's it's not too often that we see a matt mclean situation where someone does go in the the top 20 and then doesn't sign Um, more often than not especially in this day and age it seems like that communication maybe has gotten a little bit better. Not that it's always perfect. There's always, you know, some situations like that. Uh, but back to Jerpy. Um, love the slider. It's a, it's a plus slider, especially from that arm slot. Uh, the changeup was actually his best secondary uh, as an underclassman. And so he sort of has that pitchability thing going for him. And this is something I want people to keep in mind when they watch college stars, because I think we get so caught up in how hard people throw as amateurs. Yeah. I'm doing a study right now. The article is going to come out later this week. I'll have some visuals in there. Um, but the median fastball gains of college starters from the 2019 and 2020 class, when we compare what their velocity averages were in their draft eligible season to their 2022 numbers over the first few se- uh, uh, weeks of the season, the median average in terms of what guys are gaining is 1.1 miles per hour. Um, there were over 27 pitchers of the top 50 pitchers from each class. So 100 pitchers between 2019 and 2020, the top 50 college starters taken in each draft combined, 27 of them added over two miles per hour onto their fastball. We look at Spencer Strider, he added four or five. Matt Brash added four or five. It's very, very common that these guys come from these college programs and they add velocity. Guys sitting... 90 to 92 now, I'm really not concerned because that guy more than likely, especially if he's a good mover like Jerpy is and has the pitchability side of things, it's just a matter of getting him into a pro environment, um, you know, training in a certain manner, getting that velocity up, and especially depending upon the organization, if it's the Cardinals, we've seen guys like Graceffo add velocity, McGreevy add velocity. Mm -hmm. I think this is the kind of guy you want to target because his biggest concern is the easiest thing, the thing that we know almost all college starters, unless they're relievers, all college pitchers are adding velocity when they get to the pro level. So for a guy like this, if he gets a two-mile-per-hour bump on all of his pitches with the pitchability that he has, you know, lefty, good body, can throw a ton of innings. I mean, like even when he got hurt this year, it wasn't because of arm issues or shoulder stuff. It was because he got sick in a game and then tried to pitch through it. Um, <laughs> I love him. I just think he's, he's got, got the grit too. He's the guy that checks boxes for the analytically <laughs> inclined and for the, the area scout type of mindset. Awesome. Um, so Cooper Derby, uh, left-handed pitcher out of Oregon State. Uh, the other six guys that that you can touch on any of these you want to, the pitchers I was going to ask about, um, sure. high school righty out of Indiana, Andrew, and I don't know how to say it. Is it is it Dekanich? I think it's Dekanich, yes. Okay, uh, I'm like I, you're oh, asking the wrong guy. <laughs> okay. uh, there's a left-handed uh, p- 
pitcher out of Florida, IMG Academy, Florida, Jackson Ferris. Right-handed pitcher, Justin Campbell out of Oklahoma State. Right-handed pitcher, uh, Gabriel Hughes out of Gonzaga. And right-handed pitcher, Blade Tidwell out of Tennessee. And then known commodity, for the most part, Kumar Rocker, who's throwing independent ball. And we'll, we'll talk more about him after this group. Um, but was there anybody else besides Jerpy on that list that you wanted to discuss? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Justin Campbell. Um, it's not like my favorite mix, but it's a good changeup. Uh, just across the board, I think he can pitch. He was a two-way guy as well for Oklahoma State. Um, so I think there's maybe some low-hanging fruit there. Gabriel Hughes is really good, big body, um, good fastball, um, good uh, good slider as well. Um, he was a Team USA guy. Uh, and was really the the ace of that Gonzaga staff. We had a great year. Blade Tidwell dealt with some injuries, but throws hard. Um, I think if you get him back to full health, uh, you know, he was a guy that entered the season as like Tennessee's ace. Um, and then, you know, like Dukanich and Ferris, just really good stuff. Um, Dukanich is, you know, uh, big body, kind of athletic, uh, more over the top, left-hander. Uh, he's a Vanderbilt commit. Um, he was a number one player in Indiana. He's you know one of the top three or four right-handed pitchers in this class. Um, and then you know the other name that you mentioned, you have you have your Jackson Ferris, uh, left-handed pitcher at IMG. Um, just nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, if you saw this guy pitch at all, um, you know it's just it, it projects to be one of those those funky guys. Athletic, he could add velocity and just be, you know, an absolute stud as a starting pitcher. Um, there's always a ton of risk with these with these prep guys. Um, you know, I don't want to put crazy sort of expectations on them. Um, I kind of nerd out a little bit more on the college side. There's more information available. It's a lot easier to yeah. watch games. I'm a game guy. Like it's it's tough for me to watch. Um sort of these 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 showcase or prep events um i want to see a guy battle through situations battle through adversity face a tough lineup you know have to go through a lineup twice it's one of the things i like about the college game um and one of the things that i like about the cape is is being able to see guys compete because i feel like that's such a big element we see the stuff you can look at the numbers but just being able to get out there and see how a pitcher competes against a good lineup, I, I think tells you a lot. It's always tough for me to kind of evaluate college pitchers versus prep pitchers, especially in the early rounds for that reason, you know? Yeah, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and especially when, when we've cut down to four, you know, four stops in the minors in each, uh, in each yeah. organization and, and just less, yeah, less places for those high school kids to go within an organization. Um, that's why you don't get much stats on them now. You know, they're in the complex league or, or not even playing or anything. Just, just, just doing backfields and all that. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, back to the hitter side. Did you want to touch on Jordan Beck, Daniel Susak, or Dylan Beavers at all? Uh, I yeah. I mean, I like Susak the best out of this group. Okay. The approach still isn't great. Um, there's questions about the catching. Uh, Jordan Beck, I, I wouldn't take this early. Um, I saw him kind of bad in the Cape. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's still some swing and miss there. He had a great year. He's a really good athlete with a ton of power. 
Um, so I could see he could honestly be a Cardinals pick, and he'd probably be somebody they develop fairly well. Um, I just have some questions about how like the total package is going to work. Dylan Beaver's another one, twitchy. Um, there's power, there's athleticism, um, but it's a weird swing. He's a big body, and you know I think I actually for the type of player he is, I actually think I like Spencer Jones from Vanderbilt more than I like Beavers. Okay, all right, fair enough. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about Kumar Rocker. Um, I, I just read last night or this morning uh, in prepping for this, uh, Prospects Live did a, an article about his second start. And I know we, you kind of talked about seeing his first start uh, last week. Uh, you didn't say a lot about it, but his second start, he went four innings, but he threw less pitches. Um, Prospects Live said it, it seemed like he had better command of his pitches. He showcased two breaking balls. Um, one was kind of a cutter slider. One was a slider curveball, and um, that he's that I think he's always had really. And then yeah, he's cutter slider. Had a, yeah, um, and then had a little more fastball command than his first time out. Um, but they went as far as saying that he he might be showing signs that he could be the best pitcher in this year's draft again. Um, like like getting to that point. Um, if that's the case and he drops to the Cardinals, do you take him there? Um, I mean, they definitely saw him. Um, they had a presence there, so that wouldn't shock me. Um, I think the stuff is good. Like I, I love the, the, the slider. Um, I think the cutter is a nice compliment to that. He throws it a little bit harder. The fastball was good. Um, but it was, it, it was a classic, like it was the Kumar, like seven slider. I mean, it was like a 70 slider that he was showing. I mean, he was missing bats with it. He was able to manipulate it. Um, that's a, that's a guy that, that, yeah, I could see going that early. You know, it's the question is like, can you deal with whatever the medicals are, whatever that might be? And, um, you know, do you feel like there's more projection there and that you can keep them healthy? Um, and I guess it depends what the number is, but uh, you know, I, I think that Kumar makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams in the back end of the first round and it's a really good value. And I think that it kind of falls in line with what we said sort of at the top where this is what the Cardinals do really well. It's kind of sitting in that mid to, to late first round and letting the chips fall and then grabbing the best player available. Uh, and he might fall into that for them. Um, Cause he did look really good in that first start um, regardless of the command, whatever, um, you know, other than a couple of pitches, it, it looked really good. Kind of a random question that just came to me that I didn't prep for, but is he a guy that, you know, having gone to college, I know he didn't finish all four years, but having gone to college, and playing independent ball this year a little bit. Is he a guy that the Cardinals have had such trouble with games this year for relief pitchers when they're losing to keep them within striking distance? Is he a guy that they could have a couple looks at in the minors and maybe see him up at the end of the year if they if they take him this year? I think for what you're going to pay, you don't want to do that. Um I think you want to control the contract for as long as possible too. I mean, I, I suppose he could, like if they had no other options and you're talking about like, it's a chance difference between 
winning a championship or not winning a championship. Um, yeah. I physically could he do it? Yes. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't developmentally. Do I, wouldn't do with, I wouldn't do that with any college pitcher. I think, I think you, especially a guy that you're going to pay in the first round. Um, yeah. You want to develop the guy as a starter. I think that's what he wants too, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I was just trying to think like Jordan Hicks, they put in the rotation to start the year this year and we're going to build them up in the rotation, you know? And then, um, same thing with Flaherty's last start coming back. He, he was scheduled to pitch in Memphis and they bumped it and let him do it in the majors to build up intensity rather than, than pitch count. And I don't know, they're doing things a little different this year. So I was wondering if that might be a possibility. Um, could be. All right. So that kind of gets those players around that number 22 pick. But uh, I also wanted to try to discuss uh, some players right around that 59 pick. So I looked at the same sites, uh, same sources that I did, and this time came up with seven position players and four pitchers that are uh, trending the direction of that right around pick 59. Um, We're going to do the same thing. Try to touch on, uh, why don't we go one at a time on the hitter side, touch on each one, and then maybe pick which one you would, you would, um, you would pick out of these and then same thing with the pitchers. So the first guy I want to talk about is shortstop Nicholas Marabito, Marabito out of Gonzaga Academy, which is, I believe a high school in DC. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. Like I don't have, um, I don't have a ton of looks at, at Morabito. Um, well, high school guy, like you said, you know. Yeah, it's just like it. he's one of those guys where I think he, he popped a little bit later in the process. Um, so, you know, he wasn't somebody that necessarily would have seen like a, a ton last summer. This happens with a lot of these Virginia guys in general. Um, you know, James uh, Triantos, you know, Cubs pick last year was sort of one of these guys. But, um, yeah, I mean – Talented player, a uh, little bit older, a um, little bit undersized. He's a Virginia Tech commit. We know the type of players that they've gotten over the last couple of years. Um, runs fairly well. Um, decent arm. There's projectable power there as well. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that, you know, maybe is in play uh, for them this year. You know, performed well on the, on the showcase circuit as well. So um, certainly a name that I think could be in play there with that, with that pick. All right, a, a, uh, another high school kid, but a school that more people know. I mean, I've heard of this school, and I, I live in Missouri and have my whole life, but Stoneman Douglas High School out of Florida. There's an outfielder named Roman Anthony. Have you gotten much more of a look at him? Yeah, Anthony is, a, is one of the better athletes in the class. Um, you know, kid out of Parkland, Florida, um, Old Miss commit, um, you know, big juice, um, big power potential. Um, you know, he's an excellent runner. Um, you know, he's hit in games against talented pitching, uh, six, three, one ninety five. It's a projectable body. Um, and you know, they play a high level of baseball at, at Stoneman Douglas, um, in one of the better high school conferences in the country. Um, so he's seen really good pitching and he's younger. He just turned 18, um, but a month ago. So he's also on the younger side of the scale. Uh, I think the number is going to be big old miss commit as well. Um, but you know, it could be signable and could end up being like one of the real standouts of the second round. 
uh, in this class. You know, definitely a, a Cardinals type of pick there. Yeah, I, he'd be the yeah, guy I've, that I would grab for sure. Yeah, I, I could see that being a Cardinals pick the way you're describing, you know, describing him. They have looked a lot recently at guys who are young for their draft class um, and then those just just athletes. They they typically like that on both sides of the ball, guys that can just be athletes. Um, yeah. All right, uh, four more. Uh, so I guess there's six, not seven. I'm a math teacher. I can count, really. I can't um, <laughs> Two shortstops, a catcher, and an outfielder at the at the college level. Shortstop uh, Tanner Schobel of Virginia Tech, so another Virginia Tech guy, and shortstop Eric Brown out of Coastal Carolina. You touched on briefly already, but what about those two? Um, do you think Brown will still be there at fifty nine? The way he's moving up boards. Yeah, I mean, then- it depends who you listen to. I've heard Brown as a back end of the first round guy, and I've, I've heard him around here in this late. And same with Dalton Rushing, um, who's made tremendous strides over the last year just as a catcher. Um, everybody believed in the bat. He was here last summer with Bourne, uh, a real standout in terms of power, bat to ball skills, electric bat speed. Um, it's a really good body as well. I mean, he's probably 5'10, 5'11, um, but really, really strong, um, athletic, in good shape. Uh, they tried him in the outfield in a few different spots. He played some first base, um, but the catch and throw has gotten a lot better behind the plate this year for Louisville. Um, and he's a guy that I've heard with some late first round buzz as well. Uh, Tanner Schobel, you know, interesting player for me, more like second to third round type. Um, there's some power there. He can pick it a little bit in the infield. Um, Clark Elliott, you know, plays center field, good bat to ball skills, some projectable power. Um, not a bad pick there either. Um, but I think Eric Brown among this list, you know, it's an unusual setup. Craig Council esque. Um, <laughs> high hands, but you watched. I was just video. telling my seven-year-old son about Council. He was playing some MLB nine innings and saw somebody's stance. He was like, "That's weird," and I was like, "Ah, that's got nothing on Craig Council." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and like Brown, Brown though, like hits for power, um, or can hit for power. I think it's projectable power there. He hit for power uh, on the Cape Cod League with a wood bat, um, and you know the timing is just good. Like he gets the foot down the barrel stays on time um he's a really good kid uh good defender in the infield i don't know if he has the arm for shortstop he's probably a second baseman long term but i think in this day and age where you know shifting is probably going to be banned in the major leagues uh, and it is throughout the minors it's really important to have a second baseman that's rangy and it can cover yeah. A, yeah. a good amount of ground you know the days of the data-driven second baseman are, are going to be long behind us um, so with Eric Brown, you said his timing was super good on the Cape last year. Have you gotten to see him much during this during the school year this year? Yeah, I season? think it's the same. He just hasn't hit for like the the power numbers haven't been crazy, but you know the numbers across the board have been good. Good swing decisions. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, you know, for me, like I I hold I honestly value Cape looks more than I value a lot of these college seasons. Cause these guys have to do so many different things to help their team win. It's just a different situation. Um, yeah. Plus they're hitting with those, those ping ball, you know, star Wars metal bats. <laughs> yeah. I just was wondering about the timing. If, if it was just a hot streak in the Cape, you know, cause it's a month, right? Cape ball. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's eight weeks, but yeah, eight weeks. Okay. Two months, almost two months. Okay. All right. Um, if the every day, you know, I think that's the difference is like yes. they play 38 games and they have one day off a week, which is a big departure from, 
you know, what they're doing, you know, playing midweek games, screwing around a little bit, you know, they play, you know, three games in a weekend and then, you know, have a few days off. Um, Yeah. It's much more like the Myers. The Myers all having Monday off now. Yeah. I mean, he hit 334, 60, 544. He actually had better numbers with Coastal this year than he had with Katuit last summer. So, um, powers up a little bit. He hit seven homers, drove in 40, stole 12 bases. Um, you know, played, played mostly, uh, played, I think 54 games at shortstops. He played all of his games at short too. Awesome. All right. All right. If the Cardinals choose to go pitching there, um, there are four guys who are, are, are around that point. Uh, we've got a Northwest Florida state college righty, Jake Madden, Gonzaga university righty. Uh, so pitches alongside Gabriel Hughes, who we already talked about, but, um, Tristan Vreeling. Left-handed pitcher Levi Husman out of Hanover, and then a high school righty out of Texas, Cole Phillips. If you would touch on all four, and then tell me which of those four do you like the best? Who would you take if you were Cardinals? Uh yeah. I mean, I would probably. I like Jake Madden. Um, it's a really good operation. Good fastball. Um, saw him earlier as a JUCO guy. I think we actually saw him against Cam Collier, uh, maybe at that perfect game tournament early in the season. Vreeling uh, is kind of interesting. I mean, I think he kind of fits that Cardinals mold a little bit, where it's not like super loud or or really exciting, but I think overall, you know, pretty good. Um, Houseman, I, I probably would be the guy that I draw. I, I would I would grab ninety two to ninety five. Um, you know, left handed pitcher. Uh, a little bit undersized, but I think he can add some strength. He's really athletic. Um, it's a great slider. Uh, and he's produced in games. He's a little bit older uh, for the college side. Uh, Coastal Carolina commit, but I think he's very signable uh, at this point. So he's probably the guy that I, I would personally pick. And, um, you know, Cole Phillips, I think, is you know certainly right there uh, in the conversation. Um, you know, as you said, uh, you know, a Texas kid. Um you know, we've seen, you know, so many good arms come out of Texas over the last 10 years. I mean, just historically in general, um, it's easy to sort of to buy in uh, big body. He's a little bit older. He's 19. He's going to be 19 at draft time. He's an Arkansas commit. So maybe a little bit more difficult to sign um, because of his age, he'd be a draft eligible sophomore. So there's a little bit less risk, especially if you're going to a big ACC, uh, SEC school like Arkansas, if you can get into that rotation. Uh, you know, he's up to 93, 94. Um, you know, it's just an, an interesting uh, interesting arm all around, you know, two-way guy. Gotcha. So guys might say we can get him in two more years, might as well wait off and let him, let him develop a bit more. Yeah, it's possible. It just kind of depends, you know, how available he makes himself and what his number is. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay. So last year, uh, what really led to the first time that I really got to have some meaningful interaction with you on Twitter was you wrote up just a wonderful list of Cape Cod guys. I thought at the end of last season in the Cape and, um, some of the guys you said were, were stars there were, were these four guys I want to talk about. And I had a much longer list and then you and I discussed that, Oh, some of these guys aren't eligible until 2023. Yeah. Didn't do my homework. Sorry. Um, That's okay. Some of the best players in 2023s, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you kind of follow up with how well have these four guys been doing at their college season this year? And tell me what you saw in the Cape with them. So uh, Jake Brooks, w- what does he play and where? Yeah, Jake Jake Brooks is um, UCLA starter. Um, sort of just softer stuff, but really good con- command of his entire arsenal. There's a lot of projection there. I think when you look at um, – you know, sort of what the uh, what the what the potential power could be if you know he added a few ticks on the the fastball and the rest of his arsenal. But he throws a lot of strikes. He executes um, younger college arm. He doesn't actually turn uh, twenty one until um, early July. So you're going to draft him. He'll just be twenty one. Um, there's some benefits to that. He's a draft eligible sophomore. Um, last summer for Katuit. Uh, you know, he made eight appearances, six starts, uh, you know, over 32 in a, in a third innings. He only gave up 11 earned runs for you math teachers out there. That's a that's a 3.06 <laughs> ERA. Um, you know, You're speaking my language through a lot of strikes. He doesn't miss a ton of bats, but um, rarely walks, guys. Uh, you know, he he only had um, 24 strikeouts over those 32 and a third innings, but he only walked four batters. Uh it was kind of more of the same this spring. He made 10 starts for UCLA, went five and four with a 3.96 ERA. Um, over 63 and two-thirds innings, uh, he only walked 10 batters, struck out 57. This kind of goes to show, like, he's a guy that has that pitchability element um, that the Cardinals do like. So I think he, he could potentially be a good fit there, especially – Considering I don't think he's a top two round guy. Maybe he's more like rounds four or five. You can get him in a decent number. Uh, and, you know, he has the age thing going for him, the pitchability thing going for him. And if you believe you can get a little bit more, out of, you know, out of blood out of the stone, I think uh, when it comes to velocity, I think he's a definite draft. Uh, so he's an interesting player. Um, the next guy that you had on this list was uh, Kane Wallace. Who Yeah, so he's an Arkansas guy, right? And. I believe so. I was just looking this up. He he switched positions this year. So last year on the Cape, you saw him as an outfielder. Um, yeah, but he's, he's playing all third base this year for Arkansas. Yeah, he's always been a third baseman. Um, just because of the roster that he was on, mm-hmm. uh, he was playing outfield, and I think he had played mostly outfield uh, as an underclassman at Arkansas as well. Um, yeah. and then this year, you know, they they had an opening at third base. He was able to move over there. Um, he's always had a huge arm. He's another, uh, draft eligible sophomore, um, just eligible for the draft by a few weeks. His birthday is August 7th. So he's got the age thing going for him. Model teams are going to love that. Uh, big power, huge bat speed, good swing decisions, really produced for a top team in the best conference of college baseball. He had 304, 395, 568 with 16 pumps and 60, 60 RBIs. I mean, it's a legitimate season. Um, he's got the defensive, you know, skills and abilities. I, I think he's fine, whether it's in right field or third base. Um, he's got value there. The bat fits both of those profiles. Um, I was asking people a few weeks ago, like, why doesn't Keaton Wallace get mocked higher? Because this is the kind of player I would be all over in the second hmm. round if I could get him. Okay. Interesting. Um so the next guy I want to ask you about is on that list. It's Chase DeLauder, and he's a James Madison guy. He played for Orleans. You said he had the best power tool. Um, 
And something that I noticed, like, I don't know, I'm obviously not the best with comps or anything, but uh, having not really seen these guys with my own eyes, but his statistics, I mean, the dude is just crushing it for James Madison. I mean, he's got, this is his third straight season of over a 1000 OPS. It's at over 1400 currently, and it's not all homers. He's only got 15 homers in three seasons there in 66 games, but doubles are there. Triples are there. Steals are there. Um, he walks more than he strikes out. Kind of reminds me a little bit, uh, less power heavy, but like, those are numbers that I saw like out of Jake Berger at Miss Missouri state, I guess without the homers though. Um, but I don't know now that I'm looking, that was really more just burgers last year there. He had more strikeouts, more walks than strikeouts. And yeah, but I mean, DeLauder's on base percentage the last two years over 500. It's almost 600 this year. And then you saw him as the best power guy, despite not necessarily having power numbers at the collegiate level. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, some of that is just the amount of games that he played. Um, it's important. Like, he only played 66 games, uh, right? you know, at the at the college level. Um, was injured, uh, missed some games, obviously, 2020. I think they had a limited season in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this year, he got injured in April. So, they only played 24 games. Um, but, I mean, you know, he slugged 723 and then 828 the last two years for James Madison. Uh, 589 in the Cape, which which I think you got to keep in mind. Like Cape Parks, there's a marine layer there. This is in the middle of the ocean. Some of these parks, particularly Orleans, Orleans is 435 to dead center too. No one hits Ooh. the ball to dead center ever at Orleans. I've never seen anyone 35 games at 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 Eldridge. I've never seen anyone hit a homer to dead center, even in a home run derby. Like it it doesn't happen in batting. <laughs> Seriously, like I, I I think I saw Nolan McLean hit a ball in batting practice to dead center. And that's just about it. Uh, you know, like Nico Cavadas couldn't conquer this wall. Like it, it, Peter Longo, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy wall. And then you have all of the other factors with the wind. Cause these parks are right in the middle of the ocean. I mean, some of them are like 500 feet from like the coast, you know? Um, yeah. And if you know anything about Marine layer, how it impacts games at night, uh, it just makes the air really, really heavy, and the ball doesn't carry as much. So when you slug 589 in the Cape and you hit nine homers, like that's that's serious juice. Um, big thing with him is just the lefty swing is unusual. Uh, he's got a really busy uh, back foot; it's not planted. Um, so it's one of those things that, like, there are guy. There's going to be certain evaluators that hate the swing, um, but he's a plus runner. Uh, he's an easy 60 runner. Can play center field. Uh, he was a two-way guy. Actually pitched out of the pen. Um, so he's got a good arm in the outfield. Can handle all three outfield positions. I think he's best in center field. His, in, his instincts in center are really good. Um, and he gets on base and he can hit and he can hit for power. So uh, if you feel like you can clean up some of the maybe mechanical flaws in his swing, um, he already has for that baseline making good swing decisions getting on base. So just a little more context on him. He won't turn 21 until October. So you'll get all of next season in the minors at age 21. And this is a kid who between the Cape and James Madison has played in exactly 100 games and has 63 extra base hits and 29 stolen bases. Yeah. Pretty awesome stuff. And it's, he's just a, he's just a stellar athlete. You know, it's like 
the kind of guy that you would expect to to play like tight end or you know something for a college program, like a receiving tight end, not a blocking tight end. Like you know, guy that's going to go out there and get it in the end zone. All right. Well, I'm I'm a Kansas City guy now, uh, moving from St. Louis to here. Lived here almost 20 years now, and having seen Tony Gonzalez and uh, and Travis Kelsey, uh, that that that's going to make some people that live around here happy. All right. Yeah, as, a, um, as, a, as a Patriots fan, I'll shut my mouth and not say my opinion then. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, last guy that you uh, were going to follow up for me on the Cape was another starting pitcher, Adam Meyer, who's in yeah. Oregon, at Oregon now. Um, you said that he had the best slider on the Cape last year. What else do we know about him? Yeah, man. I, I, he's another guy that's that's really young. He's going to be – he doesn't turn 21 until November. He was a uh, Canadian player, played two years at the University of British Columbia before transferring to Oregon. Unfortunately, after three starts, he got injured here. We didn't get to see the best of him. Um, but he's got really projectable stuff. He's got a sinker at 91 and 93. Um, you know, a, a crazy sweeper slider, like the slider that's in vogue with like 2,800 to 3,000 RPMs and feel for a changeup. It's a true three-pitch mix. It's a starter's mix. As long as you can get him healthy, um, he's still really, really young. And I think has a ton of projection. He was really good in the Cape. I saw him in his first four starts. I actually caught Meyer. Four four of his first five. I definitely saw his first two. Um, almost a year to the day, actually. I think it was uh I think it was the twenty-third um of June of last year where I saw him pitch in Wareham. And I'm going back to Wareham for my first Wareham look tonight. So uh, and I saw Yarmouth Dennis for the first time in a doubleheader last night. So um, kind of going full circle now, but he's a guy that uh, <laughs> I think is really, really interesting and some team is going to steal. I actually was sitting watching the game last night and that was a thought that crossed my own head was like, Meyer's going to, is hurt. No one really saw him. People saw him here. Someone's going to get this kid in like the fourth, fifth, sixth round and they're going to get this 20 year old, you know, that, that has three good pitches and a ton of projection. And I just hope he ends up in a good home, you know, in a good organization that can develop yeah. that skill set because, uh, He's a really interesting arm, kind of underrated and a sleeper name. And was he a righty or a lefty? I forgot to ask. He's a righty. Okay. He's a, yeah, he's a righty. Okay. That's what I thought, but I would be remiss to not have asked. Um, yeah, like a six anybody, one, like, you know, Tim Hudson kind of builds. Cool. How many games have you gotten to see at the Cape so far this year? I know the season just started. Yeah, well, I got COVID the second day of the season. So uh, I was in the shelf. All last week, I saw Wizen Hunt uh, in the opening game, Chatham versus Katuit. Uh was back again last night. There was a doubleheader, uh, Bourne and YD. I saw those two games, and then uh, I'm headed to Wareham tonight to see Wareham and Katuit. And Anybody uh, that just wowed you the last like three games you actually got to see? Um, Cade Morris from Nevada. He's going to be on Team USA. He's in Katuit. Um, I think he was the best arm I saw, including Wizen Hunt. He's 2023 eligible. Um, Really, really interesting name. Uh, I like him a lot. Cole Carrig, um, I believe from uh, San Diego State. He plays it's almost like Dalton Varsho. He plays like seven or eight different positions. He's, he caught this year for San Diego State. He played shortstop. He played center field. Cool. Played center field last night in game one. Um, you know, switch hitter, um, big athlete, uh, really projectable power and stuff. I, I, I really like him. Um, Cool. He's a really interesting name, a guy that could potentially pop. All right. So 
Last two individuals I want to talk about are guys that grew up in the Kansas City area here. Um, the first is a right-handed pitcher. He's currently at Liberty High School in Liberty, Missouri, um, which is about 20 minutes from me. Um, I taught in the district for four years. Uh, I did not have him, but Carson Milbrandt. Um, what do you know about Carson? Um, Carson Milbrand, I don't know a ton about, um, other than he spells his first name with a K. Uh, he's a Vanderbilt, yes. he's a, he's a Vanderbilt commit. Uh, I know he's, you know, the, the biggest name there, um, you know, within, uh, uh, the Missouri high school ranks, a little bit undersized, um, you know, decent fastball. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, is a little bit lower on, on some of these lists. I, I think he's been popping a little bit as of late. Um, but you know, a projectable, uh, a projectable, uh, arm for sure. Yeah. And I know he's, he's been more of like a mid round arm um, yeah. from what I gather. And, and I don't know if a mid round would get a Vandy pitching commit to go anywhere. Um, he so, might end up there. He might end up at Vanderbilt. I think that's yeah, entirely so, possible. So we shall see on that one. Um, I know prospects live had him at 133 MLB pipeline did have him up to 88. Um, oh, there you recently. Go. So, so if, I don't know, man, if you go top three rounds, that'd be hard to pass up that money, but who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the second I is a, he's a right-handed pitcher at Crowder college. Um, and so you might have a little more info on him, but uh, Jacob Mizorowski is a guy who um, has been kind of climbing up some lists that I've seen uh, 98 on prospects live 83 on MLB pipeline at my last check. And he's a guy who grew up like, 10 minutes from where I lived for most of the 2000s. He grew up in Grain Valley, Missouri, which is in the Kansas City area as well. What do you know about Jacob Mizorowski? Um, Really good fastball, 93 up to 99. Um, Lower vertical approach angle, so really good shape on that. Um, Got some hop on it as well. He's got a, you know, good velocity on like, you know, it's like a mid-80s sweeper slider that he mixes in. Uh, it's a really nasty two-pitch mix. I think one of the better arms, if not the best, um, from the JUCO ranks. Uh, definitely a guy where uh, I'd be I'd be trying to make every attempt I could to see him <laughs> if he was out here in the Cape. Yeah. Um, all right. So th- I think that's going to wrap up what we're like individuals that we're going to talk about. Um, but something Kyle Reese and I have discussed a little bit when talking about uh, the draft or talking about guys out of certain universities. Um, Are there any, and this is going to be a very long winded question. So I'll give you a chance to catch your breath over there since you've been doing most of the talking. Are there (laughs) any colleges or universities that you would either tell people to really pay attention to when discussing specific groups like pitchers, hitters, catchers, et cetera, um, schools that you would use caution about? And I've got a few examples. So, for example, I know Vanderbilt for a few few years now has really cranked out pitching prospects. You know, that's why maybe Carson Milbrandt, who we just discussed, would choose to honor that Vandy commit, even if he's chosen in the third or fourth round. Um, I've heard one things about one ACC school that would lead me to steer clear of any pitching prospects from there ever until they change uh, who's in charge, I guess. Um, another example, the Cardinals, at least, seem to keep dipping into like East Carolina University, ECU, and getting pitchers who are players, sorry, who seem to be advanced bats, but also seem to be like really good people, good kids. Um, is there any particular college or university that you look at when analyzing draft prospects like that? Um, 
honestly, I, I really like Wake players, Wake Forest players. Um, they typically an- understand analytics. Uh, they've already worked with the lab and like a lot of advanced techniques. Um, just think a lot of them are just um, conditioned well to make the transition to pro ball. Um, guys just take their career seriously. I like Georgia Tech players as well. I think there's um, a lot of benefit that comes out of those schools. I think they handle the players really well. Um, I think a, a lot of uh, you know these smart sort of like mid-majors we've seen over the last couple of years are, are interesting, like an Elon um, and some of those places. Virginia Tech, for example, I think has done a really good job of integrating um, – analytics and, and, and different types of training into, into what they're doing. Um, you know, Oregon state, uh, they just churn out players. It seems like every year, uh, it's a college where, you know, I'm inclined to, to trust a lot of what they do. Um, Arkansas too. Um, you know, Hobbs is one of the best pitching coaches in the country. Um, you know, so, so I always feel like, you know, those guys are coming, um, prepared for pro ball and ready for success. Um, a lot of it's in the kid, though, you know. Um, oh, yeah, I, I don't want to totally write anybody off from any particular school. Sometimes, you know, if you have bad college coaching, um, you can almost look at it as like a positive. Like we get this guy into our player development system, get this guy into our organization. We really feel like we can turn this guy into X, Y, Z because he has, you know, ABC traits that, you know, portend future success. And, you know, we have – John, Jim, and Harry that have all had success with similar issues in college. Um, and we've been able to, you know, get them up to this point um, and doing, you know, X, Y, and Z things in the game. So obviously um, you could fill in the blanks here as to what they are, but I always feel like that's the biggest part of it is really um, the pro organization identifying a, a player that does things that, um, or has traits that they know how to accentuate and get the most out of. Um, I think that's what good orgs do. And uh, more so than even like being negative about any colleges. Um, right. Right. You know, and I, don't, I also don't want to, I also don't want to uh, get, get myself in trouble with any college. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> that was probably not a fair <laughs> question to ask you. Ridiculous. Probably SEC not a fair programs. question. <laughs> um, okay. I was going to make a bad joke there. Um ah. So something uh, I had Jake Berger on earlier this year, just an old family friend. And so something I asked him that I'm going to change a little bit to ask you. Um, So I asked him about just, I'm a teacher, I'm a former coach. So I asked about, you know, who were some of his best coaches that he could give a shout out to you watch and know the Cape Cod league better than anybody I know, at least. So um, what, organization there has like just tremendous coaching that you could kind of give a shout out to just one of the teams or one set of coaches that, that maybe they'd be moving up. Like, you know, maybe they're not, you know, Cape Cod lifers, maybe they're looking to move up and, and somebody that, that people should have their ears listening for. Yeah. The funny thing is with the Cape Cod league, you get a lot of guys like that's, that's kind of what they want to do. Um, you got Mike Roberts with could it. Um, I love Mike. Um, UNC baseball coach for 20 plus years, legend, father of Brian Roberts, uh, you know, former Orioles, great. One of the most dynamic leadoff hitters at the turn of the century here. Um, Really talented player, talented college player as well. Played at UNC and South Carolina. Um, uh, Scott Pickler with with YD, I I think is the longest tenured coach. Um, Scott's great. He's a a California Cypress College coach. 
junior college coach, you know, manager, long time out there, legend uh, within the within the you know the baseball community. Um, you know, Jeff Trundy with like Falmouth, uh, another guy. You know, Kelly Nicholson, uh, Orleans manager. I love Kelly's a great guy, easy to talk to. Always love catching up with him. Um, Tom Holidays with with Chatham, who you know, grandfather of uh, or excuse me, father of Matt Holiday. Um, you know, father of uh, Oklahoma State head coach, uh, grandfather of uh, Jackson Holiday. Jackson, yeah, he's a twenty twenty two draft prospect, top um, ten kid. Yeah, and you know Harvey Probably. Shapiro with Wareham. I mean. Uh, most of these guys, I don't think you'll see. They're, they're going to hold on to these jobs for a long time. Like you kind of, okay. you kind of go there. You don't necessarily get a gig to try to get like a Division One college job. Um, it's actually more a job that guys will take more like in retirement, or if they're like a a Division Three or a JUCO coach. Um, you know, I, I know like Scott Englid is is on the staff at Kansas State. Um, he's been with Harwich now since two thousand three. Um, okay. These guys, these these guys hold these jobs. I think all but maybe two coaches on the Cape have coached on the Cape for twenty plus years. Wow! Yeah, they're okay. mostly a lot of old men. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> assistant coaches that tend to be guys that kind of come through, but no, I man, but they just know baseball. They're, they're a revolving door. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. I ask for, hey, who's maybe one? And you give me, oh, here's 48 of them. Yeah, all right. exactly. Here's uh, all 10. <laughs> so uh, that's basically going to do it. I want to kind of pimp Jeff's work a little bit. So Jeff Ponce, G-E-O-F-F-P-O-N-T-E-S-B-A on Twitter. Um, I saw that, you, you know, you geared up for the Cape Cod League again this year. Um, if you just subscribe to Baseball America, he's got 10 articles about each of the 10 Cape Cod League teams that he's recently put up. He mentioned earlier this podcast about a study he's doing that's going to produce an article next week. Everybody check that out. I know Baseball America just put out their top 500 list. Um, so they've expanded their list to 500. Check that out. Um Anything else, Jeff, that you are excited about that you have coming up soon besides just getting back to seeing games after quarantine? No, I, I think it's, yeah, just, just trying to get out there. I'm uh, going to be out at the Futures game. I'm uh, going to be doing my, my typical minor league coverage as well, uh, you know, which is always a big part of my day-to-day and just my general my job in general. Um, so, yeah, I'm gonna gonna get out this week and probably see Quinn Priester and a few other guys uh, with um, with Altoona in town uh, up at New Hampshire. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm gonna be mixing up Cape and and uh, some some minor league stuff. So it's gonna be fun. Awesome. Well, uh, everybody, I hope that you can forgive Jeff's uh, AL East fandom and Patriots fandom here in Missouri, and just. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. That's I mean, this is the last two weeks have just been some so much great information um, for people listening and um, just great job. Keep up the good work and everybody interact with him on Twitter because he does a great job of uh, when he has time talking about baseball because he just loves it. And yeah, uh, thanks for having just, me on, man. Yeah, and it. you can just tell it comes through how much he loves the game. All right. That is going to be it for us this week. Have a wonderful week, and I will get back to you uh, as soon as I can.